Today we're sitting down with Beatrice Valenzuela, stylist, designer, and co-founder of Echo Park Craft Fair, which this coming weekend, May 11th to 12th, 2019, is celebrating its 10-year anniversary. Hence why this episode is being released a few days early. Let's call it serendipity. Minor side note, the first five minutes of audio are slightly bumpy since I quite literally got to spend the morning with Beatrice and the ladies got a lot on her plate. Her son Dimitri also makes a few guest appearances to voice his disapproval. As per usual, girls spend way too much time talking on the phone. This episode carries a lot because this lady just does a lot. Originally from Mexico, she calls Los Angeles home and spends her days immersed among makers, creation, craft, her family, and looks to design as an agent of education, building upon sustainable societal infrastructures, both local and non-native, whilst facilitating human connection as center to all. Meet the woman, mother, and wife whom our feet have come to adore for her sandals, our bodies for the silk dresses, in the magpie and all of us for her jewelry. This is Connection Through Craft with Beatrice Valenzuela. A quick heads up, we're dealing with an overseas conversation here, so the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from Los Angeles, California, and Amsterdam, the Netherlands. I, I would describe myself as a creative with... Um, a creative that knows a lot of people that make really wonderful things. And so that's how I'm able to connect people with each other. And also, too, that's how I was able to create something like the Echo Park Crafter with my partner, Rachel, uh, where we bring artists together, our friends, and, and, you know, showcase their goods and our goods to our community and and, you know, and beyond that, too. So um, I design fashion for women or, or for whoever wants to wear it, really. Uh, it's very feminine. It's uh, do clothing, shoes, and jewelry. So I think I'm best known for my shoes, um, specifically this, like, slide called Sandalia. And it's a leather, um, leather-covered slide that's very luxurious, quite pricey, uh, made here in Los Angeles, and I think that's kind of how most people know me, you know, and then they kind of know my jewelry and my clothing through that, but, so I have that, and then I have the Expert Craft Fair, which is a maker's market that happens, happens biannually in, it takes place in Silver Lake, even though it's called the Echo Park Craft Fair, it started in Echo Park, Silver Lake is just a town next, uh, you know, uh, neighbor to to echo park we just don't we can't find a location that's big enough to house the thousands of people that come to it yeah. it's about six thousand people every weekend you oh know when my. we have it and um and so you know and then i also have my family I have two children um and yeah i just kind of you know i do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and i guess my goal my idea is that, you know, creating a really beautiful life, a really beautiful environment with um, as much as, you know, as much beauty and color and lightness that, that you can. And so that's kind of what I strive and, and I try to share as much as I can. 
I look at what you're putting out there online. That's how. That's the only way in which I can connect with you from someone who's based overseas. And I entirely get that vibe and the feelings. And yeah, it's you definitely ooze warmth and lightness. And I love everything you design. Oh, it's, I'm so glad. It's so nice because you know when you're making something, there's always the oh, I wonder if anyone else will like this too. You know. But yeah. what I have learned is that. Usually, if I like it, someone else will like it too. Yeah, if there's an audience for everything that you want to do, it doesn't matter how saturated a market is. Yeah. There will always be someone who's going to connect with that, especially when it really comes from yourself. You know, I think right now, I think right now we're all like kind of, well, not all, but a lot of us are thinking about how we're consuming and you know what we're buying and how that's you know making an impact. Uh, not just in our lives, but in the world. And so I think just like you know, making things and buying things with a little more consciousness, where you're thinking about、uh, who's making it, how are they making it, you know, how much of it are they making it,、uh, and how are they kind of expressing that into the world. I think that that those are important things,、um, you know, factors that I really think about when I'm. Making anything or organize, you know, when I'm organizing the craft fair with with Rachel, that's that's something that we definitely consider. It's it's very important to us. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely we're in a time and place now where whatever we invite into our lives, in whatever form that may present itself, it's something that we really, really are looking to in terms of like where it's coming from and. I touched on this recently in an episode I just put out with Danica、uh, Chang. She's the founder of Pumplemousse, and her brand as well just made a recent transition. And I love seeing how we're all cohesively coming together as a community, a global community, and really standing for these sustainable、yeah. ethical movements. Yeah, yeah, I know that is the thing that's really cool about、um, you know the opportunity that we have with social media. I actually have a really positive. Um, experience with social media,、um, you know, I, I definitely hear and validate, you know, what people say about how it's it could be really difficult、um, if you're going coming from a, a place of、um, feeling left out or. I mean, I don't. I'm not even really sure because that's not my experience. I go to social media to share kind of what I've created and then to also become inspired by. Um, by other things and other people and other people's visions. Sorry, that's my son. <laughs> and、um, so yeah, whenever I don't want to look at it, I don't want to look at it. And, and when I do, then I get to, you know, yeah, pretty much go anywhere in the world. And、um, let me just say hi. Can I be over here because I'm on a phone call? Sorry, I just, just totally got, I just got home. Of course, I'm like, you know, seeing you, seeing you. <laughs> Seeing you is like I'm like I was in my car now I'm in, now I'm home now I'm home it's beautiful out it's beautiful today along for the ride <laughs> so anyway I was saying that about yeah exactly you really are like with me for like a day of a day in my life <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah so so that's kind of what's been great for me you know like I love to be I'm able to even just have this connection there's no way we would have met you know because. It just would have been difficult because of the distance. Yeah, and here we are speaking, you know, to each other. Yeah, about like things that are important to us, and 
and having this nice exchange and connection, even though we're not face to face. Yeah. And put it very simply, why, why do you design? Where is that drive coming from? It's really um, something I just have to do. You know, there's, um, there's like a compulsion to do it. There's things that I want that I'm not finding out there and I want to create. So that's kind of how it started. It was things that I wanted, but I couldn't find either they didn't exist or they didn't exist in my price range. And they also didn't exist in the way that, you know, where everything was being made in a more conscious level. So all those things were important to me. So I thought, well, if I'm not finding it, I'm just going to make it. And that's, that's how it all goes with everything that I make. And then once you start making, then it becomes a little bit of a, I mean, I don't know, maybe you think like this is maybe how a lot of artists work too. You just, you like you know i have to do this this one more thing or i gotta do this or like you just it just comes to you and you you want to create it and put it out in the world and i i always find like the most satisfying thing is when i see someone i don't know wearing my clothes just like out in the world you know because with my friends and our colleague my colleagues we wear each other's stuff we trade uh we support each other and so of course we're all wearing our stuff like right now i'm wearing head to toe designers that are my friends or, or or that I design myself I mean even to my underwear you know which is incredible it's incredible um it's such a great thing to you know my purse my wallets my shoes my jeans my jewelry everything I'm it's on my that's on my body um but so when I see someone that I don't know or like you know or maybe a picture of them wearing my thing, my dress, or specifically, I do, I draw my own prints. So whenever I see like girls like walking around in my drawings, you know, that's like, oh, it's the best feeling. That must be the dream. Confident and they feel sexy. It really is. You can see how their whole, you know, they're walking around feeling like goddesses and that's like, oh, the top. That's really like the best, like, I feel so fulfilled, and so that feeling. I feel like then you kind of like chase that feeling. You like, oh, I want to, I want to see more of that. What are some of your earliest memories yeah. that encapsulate that human kinship with the endeavor to design? Well, I think you know. I feel like there's always. I don't know. I think like a lot of children. This is my son, Dimitri. I'm on a phone call. I'll be with you in a minute. Um, I think like like I see even like my daughter, right? She'll she's already doing it too. Where you like the drawing of like your dream dress, shoe, or something. I think I, I think a lot of children do that, right? I have that memory of doing that and just being like, I want a dress that looks like this, or and sometimes like feeling really frustrated because maybe my drawing skills weren't like up to you know how I imagined it in my mind like I imagined it a certain way but like my drawing skills skills weren't as good as that vision I think that's that yeah it's always like when you're a kid and you think you you can rule the world and then sometimes when you put pen to paper and you know you see you get the end results like oh okay but you keep on going after that vision and from there on it's just like you keep learning and your design and like your aesthetic evolve and 
Yeah, and now you see where you, you yourself are at, like your shoes, your jewelry, the fashion. You've created an entire yeah. entire community upon so, it. There's yeah, there. Yeah, and then while you're designing too, you know, you realize that it doesn't have to be just a drawing. It could also be, you know, you can have references. You can have like imagery. You can have, you know, you can have actual items. You can be like, I want it to be like this, and I want to have this kind of stitching, or you know. And then you, it's not just as like my design process is not just like I make one drawing and then it's like let's make this. It doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes I find something, you know, like a vintage dress or. Um, you know, like a, an image of like a really old, like Greek ancient jewelry or something. And I'm like, this is like, I want it to be kind of like this, but then like, we'll do this material and like, we'll swap this or, you know, just also concrete, like objects inspire me and, and are helpful. Cause then you got, you know, when you're collaborating, when someone else is actually making the, you know, the, like I'm not sewing all my dresses, you know what I mean? I'm not putting together all the shoes. There's like other people um, that are making that happen. So I work with other people to help create my vision. How do you go about approaching um, new collections? What does that process look like in sourcing the references and from going to that mood board state to presenting um, a cohesive plan to your group of designers and really trying to translate and communicate that vision? Um, it really is like, you know, there are so many things, like, my inspiration comes from everywhere, like, all over. It could be from, like, you know, a film to, like, even just, like, the feeling of that film. Or, you know, if I'm on vacation, like, I'll come across, like, you know, a certain type of girl or something. Or, like, I see a whole bunch of different little kids. Or, you know, it just, it could be, like, or it could just be, like, you know, for my Andalia collection for spring, all the colors came from this one particular... I was I was in Sicily with my family and we took a boat and out to this cove where you can only get to by a boat and there was all these colors were in one rock. It was all just like the moss and the everything. Uh, there was this like lilac moss and then there was this kind of like corally, you know, uh, other kind of seaweed on there and then like the water was this like beautiful aquamarine and so all the colors were there and I just thought oh my god all of these colors are so perfect and so that's how you know I took a picture and then you know I just go through all my samples of leathers and I'm just I choose them like I want these colors you know for spring all together that, that's kind of like how, you know an example of how that would be or or you know I saw um two years ago because I saw um this amazing opuntia which is a prickly pear cactus in in Puglia in the south of Italy and I grew up with with this type of cactus because in Mexico we have it we eat it it's like it's the fruit also but this specific specific uh, variation has these beautiful blossoms in I never seen it blossom like that because it's a different variation and so I came back and I you know I spoke to my my friend who helps me do all the repeats uh, for my patterns and we started drawing together and you know that and but then like you know it took probably a year of you know drawing and then like getting it right you know testing it making sure it was on the right silk the right cotton 
And before you know it, by, by the time that you like actually make a dress, it's like a year later. So you have to be really patient too. Sometimes the process takes a really long time and sometimes it could be really immediate. For jewelry, for example, here in Los Angeles, I live very close to downtown and there's, there's so many resources. So I can can, I mean, I was just there. That's where I'm coming from. I just go there. I handpick, you know, the beads that are, like, really calling me. And I say, like, please, like, string these. I want you to put this clasp. And, you know, within, like, a week or three days, they can have it ready for me. So some, sometimes it's, it's faster. Sometimes it takes longer. So you just kind of have to be really patient and go with the flow and, like, you know, try not to set too many hard goals because it could be really disappointing sometimes yeah it's a process that you don't want to really put pressure on and even though there is an entire business you still have to take into regards that you're a person and like you said when you went on that family trip that's where you found your reference that's where you found that inspiration and it's not from sitting in an office and trying to churn out pounding out designs it's from going out and living life yeah but you know i also have that luxury somehow you know like you know without a lot of years of work my partner and i were able to work our lives so that we incorporated beautiful um my children also love making things because my partner also ramsey condor he's who i have babies with um he also designs beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things. And so our children um, are constantly making things too because I think that's what's, what's around them all the time. But yeah, so we, we, we kind of organize our lives so that we can go explore as much as we can because that's kind of like the thing that really feeds us. Um, so I, I totally like, it's a huge part of, of our life. But I understand that that's not an easy, an easy thing for for everyone you know yeah. there are people that just yeah have to sit in an office and like and come up with a whole bunch of designs I feel yeah it's not so much that you have to uh, I recently had a conversation where it was a dialogue of trying to kind of avoid that midlife crisis and how more and more people it's not say when you hit like 40 years old anymore that people are burning out it's it's around 25 towards 30 and yeah and people just can't do it anymore um and so the question is really well how do i make this immediate actionable tangible step within my own life and try and support myself but i still actually need to work and i think it's just really even the smallest of steps whether that be joining a facebook group with with your desired community or making a half an hour in your day to sketch or whatever it may be that that's how you really start and implement those steps into your life yeah definitely yeah definitely yeah when we were starting um my partner and i we we definitely you know we had other jobs that were kind of helping us um you know spearhead what we do now so for some time you kind of have to just juggle and like do what you got to do so that you can pay your bills and um but continue doing you know your sketching or your sculpting or your sewing or your drawing 
or just collaging or just like dreaming dreaming and, and also to create you can you can start small you know you don't have to like i think sometimes people think that it has to be like huge right away or something like that you know and so they go into debt or they go really big and then they kind of are in over their heads so i think it's just doing doing what you can with what you have and starting smaller and like calling out to your community and um and then growing it little by little so that you can be more flexible and like you know if things aren't going that well then you can kind of shrink back a little bit and rethink some of the things or some of the the choices that you're making um or if it's going on really well then you can expand a little bit but it's nice to be able to expand and then you know retract a little if if you need to I think that's like the advice I, I mean, you know, I would give anyone that's, that's wanting to go into, you know, this type of lifestyle when you're making things and selling them. And sometimes you make something and you think it's, oh, everyone's going to want this. And sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes it's not the right time or the right place or the right community. Uh, um, and then some other time you do some other thing that you think no one will want it. And then that's the thing that takes off, you know? Yeah. And regardless, yeah, just being like, regardless, just keep on making. Yeah. Whether, whether that's received well by an audience or not, it should really be something that you do for yourself first. Yeah. And what do you, what do you correlate with the word design? Like when you hear that term, what does that bring up for you? Design, I think it's when you imagine, um, you know, an object or an experience or anything that you can transform into something, something tangible or something experiential. Between your fashion and the shoes and the jewelry, is there a common thread that's connecting all of them? What, say, design principles do you always try to imbue within your creations? I mean, one thing that's actually, I actually want things to be really comfortable and feel really good. Yes. So, so if it's if it's not comfortable, then I don't make it, or I work, I work so that until I can get it to be comfortable. You know, it's like within like you know in shoes, it's like using a lot of foam, using like really luxurious materials. You know, making the heel a, just a certain height, a certain thickness. You know, so you have a lot of support. And then clothing, um, you know, making sure that the inside of the dress is perfect. Like, you know, I love using French seams or just like using linen and cotton and like, you know, even the tag. Like, it's like I, I make sure that because sometimes like you will have this beautiful thing, but then the tag is like itching yes. or it's like you just want to cut it off. Right. So I'm, even little details like that where I'm like, I want the, the, the tag to like all the seams to be inside. So like there's no seam rubbing on your skin and like and you know with silk it's like most of my dresses like they end up being cost so much money because I use so much yardage of silk and silk is so expensive um but it's just the best feeling when you're walking around and like every part of your body is like rubbing against silk you know it just makes you feel fantastic also too it doesn't really have that much weight so it's like you're totally covered but you feel like you're wearing nothing like you're wearing air yeah you're just in a cloud Um, so yeah I think a lot about yeah, I think about like comfort and 
how like how it makes you feel when you're wearing it you know i always find that when women are really comfortable they're able to be themselves more freely you know sometimes you can really see someone actually when i watch maybe like award shows or something you can see women really struggling because their dress is too tight or their shoes are too high and and they hurt or their hair is too slick back or whatever you know yes, or sometimes you see girls and they're like tugging and pulling at their at what they're wearing it's like it's so much better when someone could just be comfortable and move freely yeah and it really it plays on one's sense of self-consciousness when they're just not they're just not comfortable in what they're wearing and I just love how you seeing your you in the clothes as well and the way that they're captured and the environment that they're captured in it just speaks so much to the entire spirit that you design with as well just it's just yeah it's luscious and it's it's truly like a lifestyle yeah yeah that's actually what I think what I'm going for uh and these items too you know they will age well um and they will last except for the probably the the sandals i would say they don't they don't have a very long lasting life you have to be really really precious with them and people just wear them because it's it's i use lamb and it's really thin and that's why it feels so luxurious but you know they they do the all the leather is exposed so they usually just last for like a season or two you know and then you like you're ready for a new pair um unless if you like you know just keep them inside but the, the idea is that you just should just wear them and and just be comfortable when you wear them but everything else is you know it's meant to be really really like to last you and like you know even like even my daughter will say like would you see that for me for when i grow up you know Aww. um and also she she loves the stuff that i make she asked me to do a little line for her and I did so that's I'm that's going to be coming out this late spring. Oh. Um so some of the clothes that I make for for women or for adults uh are going to be coming child size. I can't wait to see that. That's going to be so cute. <laughs> it's it's really cute. It's really has she, cute. Has she asked yeah. to model? Some of it will be unisex but you know. Has she asked to model the collection oh, yet? Oh yes. Well, she wants to art direct she wants to model and oh, art direct oh lady with so, a vision yeah. she's already cast as she... oh yes she's already she's definitely an art director you know she's she's also because she's grown up around like so many little you know photo shoots and you know event planning and so she's um, she knows she knows look at him photograph quite a bit so she's really can see you know <laughs> how things should be in her mind yeah and I feel that in yeah. in creating and putting the designs that that come from oneself out there, it's essentially it is a communication of one's perspective, the the beliefs and message, and to come up for and own yourself in that way really speaks to your strength and your value that you know yourself to have and be. And in relating this to the intuition and gut, is this something you openly make space for in practice? Oh yeah, everything comes from my gut. I mean, every choice. Anytime that I go against my gut feeling, I always, I always, you know, go back to that being like, oh, I should have listened to my first intuition, that gut feeling that, 
that's really how everything in my life is run, you know. Every single time that I go against it, it's a mistake. I always think, oh, yeah, of course, I knew that, but I still went for it, you know. So more and more I try to really honor that and, um, you know, live really paying attention to that. How have you seen being a designer affect your decision-making? Because it's it's balancing, it's a very creative career but it's also there's a lot of technicality in the craft so how have you balanced that with the yeah the fluidness of intuition and gut i guess you also have to be looking at realistically you have to be looking at your finances you have to be looking at also like checking in with yourself you know how much what how much is this taking out of you um and that's when you can you know when i was saying if you are you know not expanding too much then it's easier for you to kind of reorganize and then move forward again or change some things and also to you know be honest with yourself and if something's really not taking off then maybe using that energy moving it into a different direction and just slightly moving you know into you know to you know so moving your compass into the direction that feels like it's it's it should be going um, not getting stuck on one thing, you know, like, oh, you really wanted this thing to be, but maybe it didn't take off. Maybe it wasn't as successful as you thought. So don't be afraid to just like, you know, switch gears a little bit um, to kind of find your way again. And do you have an example of this? Uh, let's see. Okay, yes. For example, um, I had a, a brick and mortar down the street from my house and it was going really well but then I had my baby my second baby and my husband was working really really long hours and so it was kind of all on me and I had you know I just had a lot on my plate my first daughter was still pretty little and the store was doing really well but then you know there were, I had to like the, you know you had to have people working there and then I ended up having really harsh problems with my production because I was producing everything in Mexico and it just became really stressful in time the building was sold and they were gonna skyrocket the rent and you know I could have just held on and continue it but I just thought you know what there's so many other things going on at that same time we were going to pop up at the Museum of Modern Art here in in Los Angeles for the Equipar Craft Fair so I have this other outlet and um, we my we have this our family we have an Airbnb um, that's just down the street from the store down the street from our house where uh, we my husband and I designed the whole interior and people come and stay there and it ended up being just perfect you know, perfect opportunity for us to, we had just brought a whole bunch of beautiful um, items from Mexico that we had sourced from different communities there. And we just pretty much furnished the Airbnb with the, you know, what we had in stock. And we decided to close the store and just move into the Airbnb, do the pop-up at the Modern Museum, and then, you know, continue the production for the craft fair, which was coming like, you know, a month later stuff like that you know where I, I could have held on and had the store but I just realized that this was a thing that was taking the most energy and it was the most problematic um and so it was like you know 
I had to look at it and be like, okay, well, yeah, it makes me sad not to have a store, but I still have my online store and I have this all these other opportunities. And so that's, a, I think, a good example of just being like, okay, like this chapter I'm going to close. I could always open another store at a different time when when the you know when it's all lining up a little bit better and it was the best decision i made i never missed it not once i feel like i have the experience and i continue to have the experience i'm actually gonna have a pop-up in april and um just you know for spring at my airbnb and um so i could just kind of pop up whenever i feel like having a store you know and then close it so that i don't have to have the the everyday fatigue of being a store owner when you finally listen to that pull, that gravitation that's telling you to just let go and trust in the process, it always ends out being better than what you expect it to be. Yeah, yeah. I think some people might not listen to that because they're embarrassed about what people would say or they're embarrassed that it's going to show up as a failure or, I don't know, some other fear that's like not really... um, or fear, it's usually fear-based, you know, when, when you start making bad decisions. Um, so, yeah, it's better to just let it go and then, you know, harness that energy and recalibrate. And during this time, what did, how did you show yourself some love? Like, what did you do to just chill out a little bit? You know, I actually love um going to the spa like the korean spa for example um there's a lot of them here in los angeles we're very lucky so we can you know we just go and have like maybe a treatment a good scrub a good like massage soak in the tubs eat some delicious korean food take a nap and that's like a thing that you could do like you know in one day or you know for a couple hours in the day that was that was a big way for me to it still is to kind of, you know, find some new resources within myself, just like rest my body, you know, pamper myself, take care of my skin. Um, And then that kind of helps me be like, okay, let's go, you know, and of course, traveling whenever you can, Um, you know, whenever we possibly can, we leave for as long as we possibly can. And, and, you know, that, that's more for my soul, you know, leaving the country and going somewhere wonderful to explore and meeting new people and seeing new things, breathing new air, swimming in the sea. I love that. And what's your favorite adventure been so far? Favorite adventure? Oh, I always feel like my favorite adventure is like the one that we just did, you know? Yeah. Last, uh, yeah, last summer we were in... Rome and Sicily and it was fantastic we had so much fun we made so many friends along the way um we were in the north of Sicily and we spent some time in Fabiana which is this island off of Sicily and then another one that's further closer to Africa called Pantelleria and that was spectacular just the four of us it was just magnificent we came back just filled with new new a new vision new light new energy new love new friends it was wonderful now we're planning our next vacation we'll see oh, wow. if we can make it i better have to figure out how to, how to pay my taxes first <laughs> <laughs> tax season's the worst <laughs> yes we have to pay our taxes i'm like oh gotta do that 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, back to reality. <laughs> but exactly. When you're traveling, do you have any tips as parents what that's like with children? And also I touching on making friends and uh-huh. connecting with other people, what's that like as a family? Well, um, let's see. Tips. If you're traveling internationally, we always recommend that you are you know, wherever you land, you're there for about four to five days because it takes your children four days to get rid of the jet lag or our children to get rid of their jet lag. Uh, and so we usually do that in like a, a fun city where you can walk around and like explore and kind of like, you know, be a little sleepy and like grab a gelato or grab a crepe or a baguette or, you know, just there's things to do, but you could also just like have a nice place to go and rest. Um, and then, um, just you know we always kind of loosely plan our you know locations and then how we're going to get there transportation wise but uh, you know we'll do a whole day at the beach one day and then the next day we go explore you know 20 minutes away not too far i feel that children could could be in the car for 20 minutes at a time without too much complaining get some snacks um and then go do some sightseeing. Of course, they're going to complain about walking too much or if it's you know too boring. But within within the some beautiful things and some exciting things. And then it's usually when we're hanging out at the beach or poolside or or, or um, you know seaside when they're just kind of swimming around and then they find other children and then they connect and then maybe we connect with the parents and then we end up you know going out for dinner or. Or meeting at that, you know, at that seaside the next day too, or you know, and that's kind of how we we usually become friends. Usually, it's kind of through the children, or or you know, I, I'm pretty social, so um, we go to a restaurant all the time. Like maybe I'll reach out to the owner and you know ask for, for recommendations, or if there's someone that's friendly, maybe the waiter or the waitress or someone that's just kind they'll ask for recommendations and you you know usually we spark friendships like that too and how have you found that having children has influenced that connection with other people do you feel that it differs in a way from when you weren't a parent and yeah the way you interacted with people before has that opened up any new doors community wise yeah i definitely have more focus um in life just because my time is is I have less time to spare. So I try to only surround myself with people that really feed me and and I have a nice exchange with. If I feel like they're too like I'm feeling drained after hanging out, then I realize that that's probably not a good friendship um, for the moment, you know. Um, I think it's always nice to when you find it's really nice when you find other parent friends. And then you kind of have, like, the children can play, and then you can hang out. But I also have a lot of friends that don't have children. And we, you know, I make dates, and I I go and have dinner or drinks or brunch or breakfast or go to a movie. So, yeah, I guess I guess it's just, you know, I, I mostly hang out with people that give me more resources, you know. And, and you really, I, I found that. Once you have kids, you definitely change friends because there's you kind of realize that there's some of your friends that maybe need more of you than you can actually give, and you'll see you know you'll see yourself 
of seeing less of them, for sure. really can't wait to touch on this, but um, Echo Park Craft Fair with Rachel Craven. What were your intentions when the two of you started this event? Because it's really bringing together the connection between the consumer and the crafter and this thriving community that's been built up over the years. How did that start? Like, what was that spark? Yeah, so it started because I was doing a trunk show with a friend neighbor and there was just going to be like three of us artists and I had a friend that wanted to sell her stuff too. When, so when I, you know, when I asked, oh, can I bring my friend too? She wants to sell her stuff. She was like, no, no, let's just do you three, you know, because it was in her house. So I understood that, you know, she wanted it a certain way, of course. So that's kind of what sparked it for me. I thought, you know, I have so many friends that don't have a place to show their showcase or things. So why don't we just, I'm just going to do a sell and just invite all my friends that are making stuff. Whoever wants to come, comes. And then we could just trade or have a good time. They'll invite their friends. I'll invite my friends. And it'll just be a fun time. Even if no, if no one comes, we'll just, you know, if there's 10 of us artists, we're going to have a good time because we'll be together. Um, and I just got some cheese and some wine. You know, we had, we just kind of put together some tables with some old doors. And it was, ended up being really charming. But a lot of people came. And uh, it was obvious that the community was ready for that. And it pretty much, it was a success right right away from the first one. Um, And then uh, I met Rachel about three years later. She was my neighbor. And I, you know, there was, the crafter was being so successful that I couldn't find a big enough um, venue. You know, I was having it in my garden and there was so many people coming there was like it was a problem with the cars with so many people coming and I couldn't find uh, a place in the amount of time that I had and so she said well why don't you why don't we do it in my garden it's a bigger garden and it's like there's more places to park where I live and I thought yeah let's do it and she's such an amazing artist herself and so she really art directed it and then she invited so many of her friends that were so just like ready also to to be a part of that, you know, and to buy our products. And, um, you know, she made like lavender lemonade. She made it so beautiful. It was like, it just was so much better, you know, when she helped me host this. So that's from that moment on, I thought, you know what, I'm never doing this without you. Like, and so she said, okay, let's do it. And so, you know, she really has helped me grow it into what it is now. Because, you know, we are very different and we bring in different things, different aspects to it that are that make it what it is. Yeah, that partnership, you find someone like that and that they can really build upon where you might be lacking. And it just, I really feel that Echo Park Craft Fair, before we were seeing retail spaces become so experiential, this is what people were really asking for. Like, they don't just want the product, they want to see the communities behind the products and where these products are stemming from. And it's an entire experience. And obviously there's food, there's good things to drink. So that adds on to it. Yeah, we're always thinking about like, how can we make it better? Like, or like last time we feel like we needed more of this. So then the next time we try to incorporate it. And I think that's how it's become better and better because we're really good at 
you know, always reaching and always like staying open to making it a better experience, you know, like family tents. So like if someone needs to like sit down a nurse or like change their baby, there's a beautiful space where they can do that, you know, not have to go and sit in the bathroom or something like that. Um, you know, little touches like that, making sure that the cocktails are the best you can get. There are so many artists that want to be a part of it. So expanding and like now we have a almost like a satellite down the street. It's a we call it the Kapar Crafter Connection. And it's just down the street, you know, maybe like 30 yards. And, uh, and so we have a whole area with new artists, food, and a really nice vibe also. And so you can, especially if, it, if it's too crowded, for example, at the main event, you can take a break, go to the connection, see what they have over there, and like come back. There's food. You can stay there all day. Some people come both days or all three days because Friday night we usually have a, it's more, it's a smaller, it's just uh, two rooms that are open. And, um, Sometimes people come for the all three. They come Friday night, Saturday all day, and then Sunday all day because they just want to be in it. And it's really wonderful when people do that. What are your favorite memories so far? You know what? Sometimes it's like, um, I have to say, so many people come and I see so many faces. It's more of like a feeling. You know, at the end of the day, I just feel really good about what we're doing. It's human connection. And that's something that... Yeah all so desperately striving towards we're always always connecting but rather than the usernames that we're seeing on instagram like we're actually out in the real world you're bringing people outside and tangibly connecting them yeah you know what i do think uh i think it was two years ago we had I'd, my friend uh, is a percussionist, and he they we had like their, his band just doing percussion and singing. It's uh, Cuban music, and we just you know some of us just danced for like you know for a little bit, a couple of songs, and that was so much fun. This time, I definitely want to bring more music. I mean, we have like amazing DJs that put together playlists for us, so the music is really good throughout the event. But it's nice when you sometimes bring in some live music element, maybe for like an hour or something. And that's that's really, really fun. I also love my children make things too when they sell them. Last year, I, you know, because I'm pretty involved in the production of the event, my family definitely gets put on the side, you know, and I just usually try to have someone to come and like help me pick up the pieces. Uh, and, you know, Friday night, I, you know, I was, I was finally dressed and ready to go out and say hi. And then I saw my son had made these little sculptures, these little wire sculptures in these little stands. And he was wearing a bow tie. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I guess his, his sister helped him get dressed and he was wearing like this, like kind of like old man pajama, pajama top and then he had his bow tie like right on his skin you know instead of being like like under the collar it was like on his like a necklace like a choker yeah (laughs) it was so cute to see him and he was and he sold out in like 20 minutes whoa (laughs) this man yeah yeah and he's five years old i mean he was four when that happened you know and yeah so they and like made incredible outfits so you can imagine giant bow or giant bow in her hair or giant flower in her hair you know and she sells too and they have their little they have their own experience too and I love seeing I really love seeing the children like the artist children walking around and they're growing up in this environment this is their reality so I could only imagine like in their mind all of this is possible already How have you found that the intuition and gut also plays a role in 
being a parent. Oh yeah, that's definitely I would say.、Uh, if I had any kind of ethos of on parenting, it would be that. It would be really following your intuition. It's like the only way to do it, in my opinion, because everyone has something to say. Everyone has advice. Everyone has you know some kind of words to tell you about their experience. But it's so different because you know your child better. You know yourself better, and a lot of the times, what works for other people might not work for you. So you really have to listen to your gut and to your instincts, and to really look at your child, look at your family dynamic. You know, check in with yourself: Am I hungry? Am I sleepy? Have I had enough rest? You know,、uh, and then ask the same questions about your child, <laughs> and and just yeah, and just go with that. Just I think. Usually, when you when you do that, it always feels really good, you know, and it always works. I also feel that you're in a really great position as well to speak to this. Looking at our society and their approach in educating our younger generations, where do you feel that they are lacking? I, you know, what I actually sometimes think that they, I think that. Younger, the younger generation has been, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, sound offensive. I don't want to offend by saying this, but sometimes I feel like there has been, even though they they have a window to the world through social media, sometimes there's not enough going outside, literally outside, and having experiences, connections, real connections, like eye to eye, physical connections. Um, and I feel like those are the things that really help a human being become a more complete human being. I think it's always great for. I always think it's not that it's not a, a good idea to, you know, right out of after high school go immediately into university, for example. I think.、Um, Or if you do that, I think it's good to not go full, full like full time. Maybe just part time. I think that you should people, young people should, you know, do a year abroad. You know, find some kind of、um, some kind of job somewhere, or an internship, or donate your time to a cause that's important to you. And you know, be a waiter, be a bouncer, be a An assistant to someone, be、um, an apprentice. An apprenticeship, I think, it's amazing. I was an apprentice right out of high school. I went to、uh, cosmetology school and I apprenticed、um, with an amazing hairdresser, and I learned how to do hair. And I worked for a,、um, a company called Paul Mitchell with、uh, their creative director. And I got to travel all over the world、um, and got to really learn how to do hair. And so my early years, my really young years, I was able to do hair and 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 then do other things, pursue other things that I liked. Because I made good money doing hair, so I still went to college and I took you know I took languages and I took anthropology and I did ceramics and. I took flamenco classes. Whatever I was interested, I was able to pursue it because I had this income that I that I earn that I could earn at a very young age. Or if I wanted to go, you know, on a trip, I could do that because I could, you know, organize my life in that way. And you know, and then I did also I I did other jobs like being a waitress. And I think it's good to know what it's like to be in the service community too. 
um, so that you can treat people with, you can see like other people's experiences. Um, I think the the path of like going to high school and then going straight into, you know, university or college and then straight into a, you know, eight to five job, I find that problematic. Um, I think that that that's what I would say to, to young people. And then, and then they can live a little bit, and then they would, and then you can know more what you really want to do. You know, I think that you would make more informed decisions that way instead of just being like, "Well, I think I kind of like, you know, X," and then you're in it, and you're like, "Oh God, maybe I didn't want to do this." What do you feel is lacking in our education system? And how have you seen that within your own children's education as well? Are there any subjects or aspects and issues that you wish were being touched on from a young age and that would be followed through upon? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the schools that we chose for our children are both private. Um, and we decided to go in that direction because of... Uh, a lot of the public schools, the public school system in America is really flawed and you can't find uh, better ones. And like, especially if the parents are really involved, that's when you really get really good public schools. But the government's not really doing their part here. And, you know, because of our, our work and the amount of energy that we have to put into it, which was to go to smaller schools that are really progressive and um, that already kind of implement what, you know, values that are really important to us. I mean, it's expensive for us, but it's, it's kind of a stretch, definitely. Uh, but we, you know, we're making these choices and adjusting in other ways. Um, my daughter is dyslexic. She has dyslexia. And so I think that if, you know, in the public system, she would be having a horrible time. There's not enough um, resources given to children like her. And so in the school that she goes to, she's able to, you know, be herself and, you know, be confident. And everyone's kind of learning at their own pace. Um, another thing that's really important to me it's um, being aware of more social justice uh, I want to you know I think it's important for schools to speak about racism you know social class issues all that stuff at a very young age because all that stuff it's you know it starts right away it starts like a, you know at eight at preschool you already see it and um, you know and especially in a country like America where there's so much diversity um, I think that that's the only way that things will evolve is if children are, you know, made aware very young um, in the similarities and diversities and like how we can help and pull each other, you know, and lift each other. I feel like right now they're only, especially in America, you know, the public schools, they're for the most part. Um, are really just, you know, showing a very narrow, all-white, you know, Eurocentric um, experience and existence and history. The history is told in a way that I don't find true to myself or to my own roots or to reality. And I think that that kind of thing, it just kind of continues... My son thinks I'm on the phone too long. Uh, come give me a kid. Girls are always on the phone too long. Um, anyway, yes. <laughs> um, anyway, so I think that that's, um, I think that, you know, it, it just, 
it keeps it keeps the the world the same, and and we need to move out of this paradigm and change this different paradigm because it's not working anymore. There's too much violence in this country, and um, the equal inequality is massive. In other instances in which you've addressed this in your own life, have there have there been situations that have come up where you've had to step in and really confront that? Oh yeah, I mean. Um, I don't feel like I've actually confronted it because every time I'm having, for example, a microaggression when it's, you know, specifically racial, um, I'm, I'm always so shocked, um, that I think I, I'm kind of like baffled and I don't know what to say. It's not until, you know, a little bit later where I, I say like, I get really angry and I say like, I should have said this, I should have said this, or I should have done that. But I do speak about it with my with my daughter. Um, my son is still a little bit young. He still doesn't quite grasp. But, I, you know, it's I, I tried, I, uh, you know, as much as I can. I try to speak about it more and more with with friends and, you know, in interviews like this, for example, try to use them as a platform. I mean, also to, you know, educating myself more, reading the books that that, you know, can help me, you know, I don't know, find the. Uh, vocabulary around it because sometimes I don't even I can't even really you know English is also my second language so expressing myself is sometimes you know when it's something so deep it's hard I find it hard sometimes English is my first language and even then it's I still trip up and it's you just really have to step forth and take control and like really take responsibility that there's so much more outside of yourself and you are not the only one here and we always veer away from public learning and it's something that we're so scared of and it's all part of the process and we just need to support each other in this yeah there's a there's a we have a long way to go for sure but it's i feel like this is the beginning and like we're doing it you know just have to be patient and like and really continue the conversation continue the conversation and stay really open ourselves you know because sometimes some when you even when myself when i hear new information sometimes i have a tendency to like you know sometimes not be as open and kind of question it and like not really listen but once i like open my heart open my mind then i can listen and it's important to remember that within your own realm of parenting how have you found that design has influenced your children's lives? How have they kind of taken to design as a means to communicate? You know, I think, yeah. Well, my daughter actually, you know, her plan for this eco-crafter is her project is she wants to, she has found quotes uh, of different activists that she's inspired by um, or, like, you know, athletes inspire her and things that they've said that she finds it that have been powerful words. And so she's uh, chosen different different quotes and then she's done like a small illustration to kind of illustrate that quote in her, you know, that, how, what it means to her. And so she wants to uh, print them on t-shirts and then and sell the, the t-shirts. So I'll, you know, I'll help her you know, transfer those those ideas into, you know, finding a printer for her and print those shirts for her. And that's what she's going to sell at the craft fair. So she's already implementing, you know, her ideas and her her need to to change things or to make people aware or, you know, just to start a conversation, you know, and she's only 10 years old. So 
I'm, you know, I think it's wonderful. My son, he's, he's very artistic too. When he, you know, so he works on, he makes little sculptures. And so he's already like bending wire, sanding bases. And, um, it's more of like a artistic expression, you know, movement right now. He's, he's working on making, making movie tickets. Is that what's happening? And you want glitter? Where's the glitter? He wants me to get him. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm finding glitter for you. Where is it? That stuff? Okay. So he's making movie tickets right now. <laughs> I think, yeah, you know, he sees, they see us making things and, and uh, you know, 130 other people. And I think another thing that's really important is that they're learning that they can actually make money from the things that they make. And, and so they plan accordingly. They're like, okay, like, I want to make some money. So I'm going to make this or that, you know, and. And as they grow older, then you change it a little bit. We're now asked her, yeah, she's making something. But of course it has, she will make money from it. And then she maybe will, you know, donate to some cause that's like important to her. Uh, where before, you know, she would just make something and like take it directly to like, you know, buy herself a dress or something. <laughs> um, which is fine too, you know, which is fine too. They're getting to explore that creative aspect, but at the same time, they're really building upon the value of their work and learning how to navigate and build their own business. With regards to sustainability and ethicality, if you would be okay with sharing what that process looks like behind your designs and breaking down the price points, Yes. So for example, um, you know, if I, if I am, let's just say I'm designing a necklace, right? And this, uh, so then you're thinking about, so the necklace, you're going to need the materials. So you're going to need, you know, whatever those materials are. And then what it's going to cost for you to pay someone what they're asking you for, a rate where they're going to be able to live their life and take care of themselves. Um, and then if I'm going to be selling it to a consumer, then I would, you know, normally people will times that, that cost by 2.3. I just do it, uh, which I probably should be doing by 2.3, but I want to keep, you know, I want to be able to offer it at a, at a lowest price so that it could be more affordable. A lot of the times the materials that I'm using are expensive, you know, like for example, if I'm making a silk dress. You know, the I think it's like $22 and up a yard. So if the dress has, you know, takes six yards, that just the cost in silk, that's not even cutting, you know, to talking about how much I have to pay, you know, the, the pattern maker, the person that helps me manage, you know, the production, the person that, that cuts the pattern, the cuts the fabric, and then the person that's going to sew it and the person that's going to put the buttons on it. And then by the time that I have it, you know, then I have to also make some money. So then yeah, you double it or double it 2.3. And so then you get one price, right? But if you're wholesaling, that means that, that the store is going to buy it from me and then they're going to double the price so that they can live their lives, right? And so it's at the end of the day, you know, we're not making a huge profit, but if you're paying everyone right and you're using materials that are long lasting and beautifully made and well sourced, that's how you, that's how it kind of gets broken down. When people are selling direct to consumer, that's when you can really keep the price low, right? Because you don't have to worry about wholesaling it. But, uh, you know, a lot of the income that 
homes, it's through wholesale accounts. Like for myself, you know, I sell to uh, lots of boutiques around the world and they kind of spread the word for me, first of all. Um, they invest in my design and then, you know, I'm able to continue what I'm doing because I have wholesale. I'm not at a point where I can just sell direct to consumer. I also don't have the means to, you know, you know, spread the word in a way that, you know, bigger companies do, for example, where they can pay, you know, for a, you know, public relations person or, you know, the way that I've gotten known has been purely from word of mouth. I've been very lucky. You know, there's an element of, of luck too, you know? Yeah. Like I'm, there's a lot of people that are making beautiful, wonderful things, but then somehow like it just doesn't resonate you know like and I, I i can tell you not everything that i make has resonated in a huge way it's like a cup you do a couple of things and maybe a couple of those things take on and you know and, and a lot of the times too you know uh, sometimes when you're producing uh, most of the times when you're producing there's minimums too right so maybe my you know my you know you're working with a leather company maybe you know, their minimums are, I don't know, 100 shoes, 2,000 shoes. It just depends who you're working with. And so, you know, there's some amount of money that you have to invest out of pocket if you don't have an investor. Sometimes, like, you think you're looking at a dress and you're like, wow, that dress is $400, $500. But, you know, once you break it down, if you're only making 10 dresses, you're really not making that much of a profit. You're a small, small maker making small quantities it might seem like, oh, this person must be making so much money, but, you know, you're, we're not making that much product. It also brings into question your own relationship with consuming. What is the ethos yeah. behind the physicalities that I'm inviting into my life? And then there, that's when you see the integrity in it and the purpose with which it's been brought into existence. I'm always uh, trying to be sensitive when I speak about this because... You know, at the craft fair, the items that we're selling there, yeah, I mean, you can maybe find a couple of, you know, you can buy deodorant. You can, you know, if you want to get yourself a little thing, but not everyone can afford a $300 pair of sandals, you yeah. know? Yeah. That's a, that's like what people, you know, earn in a month, a week, a month, you know? it's a, So I always try to be sensitive to that too. And like when I speak, yes, to other people that are, that can maybe save and not buy ten thirty dollar dresses and just buy one or buy two, you know. For it's not a reality for everyone. So I think that what we're doing is definitely making a dent and it's making a difference. But I think we really have to work at a like even bigger level. Like I I I think what we're doing is really great and I but I think we could do better. I yeah. think there's so much more that we can do. Um and you know in in my in my, you know, I'm capable of creating, you know, what we're creating here in our, in have every, in have everyone grow. But, but I'm also curious uh, as to what we can do for to do more, to give more, to be able to lift other people that need lifting. You know, because we are lifting each other here in this community. But now that we have, uh, for me, like the next thing for me is like I would really like to reach out to, for example, specifically Latina girls because I'm, you know, I'm Mexican, I'm Latina, and um, girls that are maybe um, at risk, you know, or maybe, or you know, in their life they're just they need mentorship, they need or to see just a different way of life. I, I'm interested in maybe 
and I, it is something new. I, I'm, I'm still, you know, researching and, and reaching out, but uh, to make a difference in that way, um, I think we all we all have a little bit that we can give, and maybe that's the beginning to, you know, in, in what I'm talking about, uh, how we can all reach a little bit in the, a little bit deeper than just like you know our closet and the objects that we're buying. Implementing what you can, where you can, with what the re- with the resources that you have, is the best that you can do, and just continuously educating yourself. Even then, it's like a really tangible step of doing this is, it's just getting a pen and it's just getting a piece of paper and it's identifying the causes that really speak to you and looking at say your own immediate community then and what organizations or individuals are speaking to that in your immediate life and just bullet point writing it down and reaching out to them seeing where you can possibly help or donate or invest and allocate resources and time a a day in the week or a few times a month yeah completely If you could give an example of a time in your life where it was guts versus logic and you went with your gut. I mean, I really feel like it may be my romantic experience, Ooh. you know, with my partner. Yeah, we, we met when I was 21, 16 years ago in Paris when I lived there. And, you know, I had, I was going to move to Cuba to go to film school there. And I met this guy, and he was so great. And it ended up being that I wasn't going to go to Cuba at the end. And I thought, you know, I had some different options. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go hang out with this guy. Like, he's so cool. I really like him. I'm young. If it doesn't work out, I'll, you know, move on to the next thing. And I did. And we've been together since. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you it it has been easy, because it's not, but it has been great. This is Beatrice Valenzuela, Guts and Glory, signing off. This was Connection Through Craft with Beatrice Valenzuela. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show him some love by subscribing, or again, touch to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday, thanks for lending us an ear. Passing on the mic.